This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's 12 o'clock and you're on ORFM Dunedin. Over the next hour, we take the pulse of Aotearoa Dunedin's creative scene. Interviews and commentary on theatre, dance, music, the visual arts and more. Welcome to Arts Hub. Good afternoon everyone. Welcome to the Arts Hub this Thursday the 12th of August. Today our first guest is Neil Lowe, artist, whose exhibition opened at Olga Gallery last Friday. Then we'll hear from Ruth Tansley, trustee and spokesperson for the new Crafts Hub for Migrant Women, Threading Fare. Formerly from South Africa, Neil Lowe, born in Zimbabwe, is a technologist, multimedia designer and artist residing in Aotearoa, Dunedin. He graduated in theory of literature and linguistics and also in multimedia design. He's about to embark on a Master of Fine Arts at the Dunedin School of Art. His work has been shown locally and at the Museo Reina Sofia in Madrid. This exhibition, Eminence, is his debut solo exhibition. Welcome, Neil. It's a pleasure to have you in the studio today. You have a background in the humanities that absolutely lends itself to a first solo exhibition, which consists of wall sculptures with a variety of textures on the surface or bitten into the surface of the geometric shapes. Could you expand a little on the shapes and the textures and the sense of enclosure in a kind of envelope? Kia ora, Linda and all the listeners. It's lovely to be with you here today. <coughs> Each work is an etude or study and contains individual studies in sort of texture, experiments in colour, um, printmaking and various technical um, techniques or concepts. And this containment is quite literal as well through the folding of an aluminium skin that's been cut out on a water jet. And um, this folding and unfolding is also loosely based on the idea of the plane of imminence from French philosopher Gilles Deleuze, but I don't want to go too much into philosophy here. I think the works should just be seen and appreciated for their you know, physicality rather than anything else. Well, um, I had a look at the show on Friday night, and I have to say that some of the textures um, and colours are very, very beautiful. Um, I did notice that there was one that looked slightly like a giraffe, which I thought was giraffe skin, which I thought was wonderful, sort of um, brown blotches. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it, it's a beautiful show. Yeah, really beautiful. So um, I'm very happy that um, it's worked so well for you as well, which it has, yes. Oh, thank you, yes. Mm. It's been going well. Um, people have been... They seem to all want the same work, so I've uh-huh. turned one work into a series. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a note on the giraffe, that's um, actually something that's quite technical. It's called a Voronoi diagram, wow. and it's interesting that it actually looks like giraffe skin. It's, it, it looks like there's some kind of acidic thing going on in the process, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, So the works are based on classical music, and to quote your text, they are improvisations of the here and now on themes for Sergei Lepinov's 12 Transcendental Etudes, Opus 11. Could you talk a bit about this idea of improvisation of the here and now for us? I know you don't want to get into theoretical detail too much, but just just a little. Well, yes, the the word 
imminence can refer to this plan of imminence, but can also refer to the here and now, the visible, what's in front of us in our direct experience. And so having recently moved countries, um, this feeling of slight feeling of dislocation I wanted to explore as well. And being where I am in both in terms of my life and geographically in this other part of the world. I wanted to explore that a little. And therefore I also used now and then in the works references to Dunedin landmarks and sort of cultural happenings in the works themselves. So you'll get things like the Bell Tea Company and a bridge over the Orfeo and a few other things. That's really interesting. I will have to go back and have a look at the titles, which I did not look at, so that will be interesting. Um, so, um, listeners, if you've just joined us, I'm talking to Neil Lowe, artist whose first solo exhibition in Otipoti Dunedin opened at Olga Gallery in Upper Moray Place on Friday. Uh, Neil, we've been talking about the inspiration for the series of work based on the music of Sergei uh, Lepinov. I listened to a few versions of Opus 11, which varied greatly for me in listening pleasure. The particular version chosen by you of this opus is performed by pianist Etsuke Hirose and is soft and gentle compared to some versions played with great vigour. I was interested to hear your thoughts on this. Basically, was it just the right fit for your way of being in the world or would you have been happy to have been inspired by other versions? Well, the works in the exhibition are based more on the titles and concepts inherent in the music than the specific interpretations, but it's an interesting question nonetheless. I've been listening to many sensitively rendered recordings of piano music by female artists especially for the last few years, and I find a lot of beauty and nuance in these interpretations. I think it started with um, Simone Dinnerstein's Goldberg Variations, and recently I've heard um, uh, Professor Eva Pobloka from Poland playing Chopin's first ballad, which is a really beautiful restrained recording. And I find it's a, a welcome break from the bravado and the machissimo usually found in these works and their interpretations. It's very interesting. I found it um, very, very easy to listen to as well and, and quite delicate. Um, so you're planning to undertake a Master of Fine Arts at the School of Art at the, at the Polytechnic. Do you consider you'll continue in the same vein, uh, responding to musical ideas within musical texts, or will the work be based more on the materials and techniques you've been experimenting with in this exhibition, um, Eminence at Olga Gallery? Well, I think sound and music will always feature quite heavily in my work, but not perhaps not in the same way. Um, for my MFA, I'm planning to collaborate with machine intelligence to create um, digital materials that I'm going to project onto the surface of similar types of um, sculptures and wall sculptures, and hopefully then have some musical sound accompanying this so that it becomes a, a total visual multimedia experience. So quite immersive um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, so when the um, if you're going to be sharing these artworks with people who would like to have them in their 
in their own collection or just even something in their house that they absolutely adore, would they use, uh, would you have uh, the sort of moving image going across, would that be part of it or can that be taken away, if you know what I mean, so that you don't have to have the equipment to do that with? Yes, well, I was actually considering bringing one of those works into this exhibition but decided to always save a little bit for later. But I think um, what I do in a case like that is actually sell the projector and the installation and everything as part of of the sale of the artwork, an optional part. Ah. And then you can switch it off and on when you like to have it there, or you could buy just the physical part of it. But uh, mostly, I think these bigger works will be for institutions and for public display. And, yeah. that, that would make more sense. And, and, I mean, I guess for some people, they would love to have a mimic image, and the music would be part of that as well. Uh, yes, but you don't want the same music on loop in your home forever so no 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 no. i can i can remember we had an exhibition um a long time ago at the dunedin public art gallery when it was in a different institutional space and um it was all about stars it was really really lovely but i was actually working as a visitor host in the room with acdc singing um something about stars uh, on loop yes it was you know. Yeah, it could be a bit much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I know that sounds really good. And yes, I like the idea of um, working with institutions as well. So would you listen to what they had to say as well, or would you just... Sorry, I'm continuing on this vein, but I'm very intrigued. Um, so would it be something that you would... Um, listen to what they might want and then adapt something or it's going to be this is what I'm doing because I have this passion for it? Well, I think when you get to that level of art making, what you do is you come with a proposal to an institution. Um, and if they like a proposal, then you work with them on the execution. So okay. it would never be a finished work that you just say, take it or leave it. You know? Right, right. Yeah, apart from perhaps just a little one with... Um, at, at an exhibition because yes. it will be important for you to still have exhibitions yes yes of course mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I, I. so um, well it's going to be quite exciting for you next year at the School of Art um, and I'm just thinking about the can I just go back to some of the techniques that you used for these particular works uh, you talk about um, using paper as well paper um printmaking um well i use printmaking techniques but not Mm. necessarily paper so if we come back to the one that looks like a giraffe yes (laughs) um, i created a silk screen and then i um silk screen different types of resists onto the copper right which i then put in a ferric chloride bath to etch away, mm-hmm. um, which obviously, and then you get very thin lines with some types of resist and very thick ones with the other resist that are more liquid, and that's the one that looks more like a giraffe. Right. And then I created patinas with um, either heat or different household chemicals at home, sort of in a Tupperware on the on the <laughs> on the patio, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I played a lot with um, those types of techniques of printmaking and almost jewellery 
um, types of techniques, but then also painting in pasta and different um, mediums to mix with the paint to get thicker and then surface finishes like glass or mat or mm, yeah mm. yeah uh, um, when you were describing the resist methods it sounded like you it was something you you know also apply in a, a very more gentle way to textiles um with you know the idea of creating a resist and then immersing something and then whatever you come up with is sort of like ecat or something like that you know yes yeah. it's like almost like batik with with wax etc mm, yeah. mm. that's really interesting and there are um the shapes any particular reason for the different kinds of shapes and did you make the shapes and then put them together um afterwards or did you know what you wanted in each particular eminence envelope? Well, um, some of them were completely designed in on the computer before they were made, and, and the shapes of almost like the wings folding over, some of them were also d- developed using an online um, Voronoi diagram generator, but others were just um, shapes that I designed myself. And um, But then something interesting happens once you start creating the work and it talks back to you and then once the materiality of the actual objects come in, you adjust and move things around and um, swap them out. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, I find the, the whole um, technique quite interesting and your background would have helped you uh, in your... Your, ma- your masters that you were they masters or pe- uh, undergraduate degrees that you have in these other disciplines uh, the, well the the bachelor's was in theory of literature so that's where the critical theory uh, underpinning yes. it comes from yes. and then my honours was in multimedia design well specifically music experience and service design but, mm. but yes I have been working in design for a while so I'm used to using the digital tools to design shapes and mm, objects mm. I really do like um, the eventual product that you've created at the moment I think it's really quite intriguing and also there's a lot of skill involved there as well thank you Yeah, as I say these are etudes so they're studies they're about developing different skills so I haven't really painted before so each little study in painting is me learning a new skill or learning a new printmaking skill and then I fold these together in little packages to present to other people. So is that, now excuse my ignorance, but when you're composing music, an etude is a little bit like that? It's each part of your um, opus is a small amount of experimentation and then it becomes a one? Um, I think each etude, well, etude is a technical study, so it's a specific technique that you're trying to perfect by learning to play this piece. Right. Um, And then I suppose the group of etudes together could be uh, to improve a style of playing. Um, But here I've taken lots of little pieces and folded them together. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very interesting as well. Um, So uh, any more exhibitions um, up and coming before your art 
before you started the art school or um, have you sort of thought you're going to start working on what you're going to be doing at art school now? Well, I think this exhibition comes down basically more or less on the same day that I start art school, so I don't think there's space for anything in between. No, 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 for sure. Yeah. (laughs) And... um, but there is an interesting project um, with the Hocken that I might be embarking on later in the year, but I'll keep you posted. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. Um, and so, ah, so you can start your master's at any time at the School of Art, not just at the beginning of the year. Yeah, they prefer to not start um, people at the beginning of the year because right at the end of the, your degree, you require a lot of support for your final exhibition and there have to be people around to see it, mm. which typically doesn't are oh, yes. there at the end of the of year. Of course, yeah. that's right. Yes, yes because um, I went throughout school when there was no master's degree and um, people were going to RMIT in Melbourne so the the um, all of the aspects of the masters are, are things that I'm unaware of so that's really interesting and it's probably quite interesting for our creative listeners who may think at some stage or another that you know they might just add to their um, portfolio by taking a master's I've heard a lot of people recommend that it's helped their um, work hugely Yes, yes. There are two types of masters. There's the Master of Visual Arts and then the MFA, the Master of Fine Arts. The second of which, which I'm doing, has got a very strong theoretical component as well, mm-hmm. a written component. Mm-hmm. It's basically research through making yeah. and documenting the whole process. So at the end of it, you've got an exhibition, you've got a written thesis, and then you have the documentation showing off your work that you did throughout the two years. So it's actually quite good for you to have a philosophy that undermines your work, which is uh, Deleuze, um, or the idea of um, becoming. And um, you also have the music element that helps you to create in certain ways as well. So those two things will be very strong aspects of your theoretical work. Um, Yes, I'm going to start from that point, but I think for the Masters, because I want to work with machine learning and artificial intelligence, I'm more interested in the machine-human assemblages and what it means to be human, how technology makes us human. So I'm going to be looking at that theory. Um, Okay, so that's a kind of little bit of cyborg going on there. Yes. Um, When you talk about... um, machine making uh, using computers how does that work is there is it a program that you operate yourself um, or do you make it yourself for your work um i'm sorry to, it's quite <laughs> technical probably when you're trying to think of ways to explaining it but um it, it, i think it's really interesting well there's a very interesting um new development it's called a dc gun a deep convolutional generational adversarial network it's a very long word but it basically (laughs) means there are two um, learning computer networks that are competing the one is a generator and you can think of it almost like an artist and the other one is a critic right the discriminator and the generator try the 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 critic part yes the discriminator has got this whole library of images that it's learned 
and the generator tries to slip images into there um, and the critic has to see if it can tell which one the other one has created. So it succeeds in its training when the generator or the artist makes works that look like they belong to the set of reference images. Ah. And that becomes very interesting if you very carefully choose your sets of thousands mm, of reference mm, images. Mm. So people have been training um, networks like this on Rembrandt's or whatever, and then yeah. you can see if a computer can make something that looks like it could have been a Rembrandt. Right. Well, an image of a Rembrandt, yes, yes. because obviously isn't the material painting. No, no, but, no. Um, yeah. So this is all very interesting, but if you feed it... Um, strange and interesting images then mm. you can get very strange and interesting results mm. <laughs> and so that's the type of, of stuff that I want to investigate and this runs in the cloud as they say on, on, right. on big computers somewhere in the world somewhere in the world, <laughs> yes Well, um, yeah, it's, um, but it certainly sounds like you have a whole lot more of a, a handle on it than I would ever have and I think you are creating a work of art that is it is part machine, part human. Yes. And I think the the role of the human or the artist mm. becomes more of a curating role because you have to choose the images and you have to choose the images that the, the artist part of it creates mm. to see which ones are interesting. So it becomes much of a much more of a curator role than a creator role, if I can put it that way. Right. Oh, that's quite interesting. The two words are so close together. Um, well, well, I, I'm, I think we'll be looking forward to your future, um, you know, exhibitions and progress arts-wise, and, and I wish you the best of luck for your masters. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Neil, this is Neil Lowe, um, art, uh, an artist who has a show at um, Olga Gallery in Upper Murray Place, and it will be on show until the 27th of August, is that right? At least, yes. At least, okay, so it could possibly be a little longer, depending on uh, interest, and I, I recommend that you go and have a look at the works because they are truly something else again, they're really, really amazing. Thanks um, for having me. Thank you. Um, now we're going to listen to Bic Runga, listening for the weather.
at Dunedin Public Art Gallery, a major exhibition of the works of Joanna Margaret Paul, the pioneering artist of her generation. Trace the key journeys that shaped Paul's career, from Otipoti Dunedin to Horomaka Banks Peninsula to Whanganui and beyond. Between the landscape and the interior, the mind, body and spirit. Joanna Margaret Paul imagined in the context of a room. Developed by Dunedin Public Art Gallery with project partner Sergeant Gallery Te Ware Ōrewha, Whanganui. Kia ora koutou. Welcome back to those listeners who have just joined us on today's Otago Access Radio Arts Hub. Today we'll be talking to Ruth Tansley, trustee and spokesperson for Threading Whare Charitable Trust. Now we have a song from the Sami Sisters, Not In Love.
ora koto. I have with me in the studio Ruth Tansley, trustee and spokesperson for Threading Whare Charitable Trust. Ruth Tansley is a trustee and the spokesperson for the recent, this recent venture. She has expertise in human resources and operations management, and her key strengths and focus are in providing practical advice and solutions. Her belief in teams with supportive leadership and participating management will serve her well as a spokesperson for the Threading Whare. Kia ora, Ruth. Kia ora. It's great to have you on Arts Hub. And you have a very comprehensive website for the Threading Whare. Listeners could Google those two words, Threading Whare, to find the website. But it would be good to hear some of this information expanded by you today. Uh, could you tell us a little about the trust and the community focus? Yes, certainly. It started about uh, 10 months ago and I was doing home tutoring for um, through the English language partners and working with migrants and refugees. And I became aware by doing that work that there was a lot of women who were potentially sort of isolated from community for various reasons. Uh, Often they have families, so they have a focus at home, but at the same time the connection into community wasn't necessarily happening. I actually had just uh, a couple of years ago started weaving, and um, one of the connections I have to Middle Eastern areas is with carpet weaving and mat weaving, which is an incredibly wonderful industry that comes out of there. And so in talking to some of the women, um, I raised this point about how um, it would be great to sort of get together and get some sort of craft element going around weaving. And then it kind of expanded from there because they don't, um, obviously having come particularly refugees, they don't have equipment or materials and often as not they don't have a place or a space to do that craft anyway. So that started a, a whole list of things going with people talking to government agencies etc etc and we realised there was a need to set up a space where we could keep it open five days a week and women could come and go and practice craft. And I think the biggest thing was that I think with craft is cross boundaries. I mean, anywhere in the world, craft has a common language. And also I think that, um, you know, you get women sitting around with a set of knitting needles, you can solve the problems of the world, really. (laughs) So um, it seemed a natural course to take. So we took the leap of faith and set up the trust and applied for funding and just recently found our premises. So we're now at the opening stage. Oh, that's great. So um, when you said found your premises, were were you working in various houses or someone's house? No, because we'd actually just had the concept and the idea, so Ah, we hadn't actually got it off the ground. That's very exciting. Yeah, and it was just absolutely contingent on us getting a premises. So it's quite difficult for uh, community groups to get space in Dunedin. It's, It's quite a hard job. And we were incredibly fortunate to touch base with the Baptist Church community in the valley, Northeast Valley. Yes. And they had a space available, and um, after some negotiating back and forth, we've moved into there. So we're very grateful to be there. That's really great. And it's probably really um, a compliment for the 
for the church as well. Oh, absolutely. Mm. They were so supportive. And that church has always had a community focus over the years anyway. And there's an amazing amount of activities go on in that premises. So it's a great place to be. And, of course, the Valley Project is literally just a couple of doors down the road from us. And there are a whole lot of other things happening in the Valley. So it's a very community-minded space. It's a very community-minded part of Dunedin, actually. Mm. Mm. Um, You know, people feel that it has that community feel to it with yeah. schools um, you know with all of the new things that are going on with the community garden um, you know it's really great and I would imagine that um, there would be a reasonable amount of migrants in the valley yeah, as yes, well yes, so it's are. easy access for a lot of people mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah well done that's really good yeah. it must have been means something else again trying to find a space so that's perfect yeah. thank you um, so um one of the things that I was thinking of, um, particularly with things like, um, you know, carpet and weaving and, and knitting and so on. Um, so if you could just overview how it works, that mm. would be very helpful. There's some great equipment um, and having materials available mm. is a great incentive for the, for the focus group, um, learning new skills and so on. Mm. So um, I've already, I had, I was going to ask you how you're funded, but you've obviously had some grants. Yes. Um, and the materials and um, equipment, would that be through part of that grant as well? Mm, exactly. Um, we've got um, equipment which is like weaving looms, particularly, yes. and a variety of those, uh, sewing machines and overlockers. And we've put a call out through sort of more or less all our networks and just asked for donations to come in to us, and that's been absolutely amazing. So we've had large quantities of wool and um, fabrics and materials and all sorts of sewing products, embroidery products, all sorts of things, weaving, yarn. And so the focus which we got from talking with the women was that uh, sewing, weaving, knitting and embroidery would be key things that we would start with. But we're aware there's a whole lot of other things that we'll uh, arrange or organise once you know we get the women coming and going and they decide what they'd like to get involved in. Yes, it probably takes... You know, a woman coming in with another woman mm. to feel more comfortable than just going in by herself mm. and that sort of thing. So it probably will get off the ground within a certain amount of time. Yes, it just it's takes just, time. Mm, yeah, yeah mm. that's right. Mm. And I was actually thinking, um, I'm not sure what kind of um, other works go on down the valley. <coughs> Excuse me, um, but I'm thinking um, there must be people who do make things like an ankle loom which is very easily yeah. makeable yeah. Um, and so it would be quite nice to think that um, that some of those people would make things at a discount or something for um, for their for the foray. Yeah I think the, the thing for us is that we've got as a consequence of this project we've also touched base with a whole lot of women and I would say that you know they're New Zealanders women who would like to come and support and help because one of the aspects of of having this um, workspace is also to have interpersonal connection with community and across community yes so that we can um, I'm, I'm very conscious myself that you know i found that I don't understand a lot about culture, different cultures. I'd like to learn about different cultures and I would like to be more informed 
and I think that was one of the things that came through fairly early that if we can have that cross connection and community with others coming in as well then we're starting to actually talk to each other and get that cross interconnection going which is really important um, so we know that there's quite a few skill sets that have been offered to us and so one of the elements if we're talking a bit longer down the track is we hope that the women will be able to make things and sell them for instance so we'd end up having an exhibition or it's a place where people can come and buy some of this craft which would be marvellous it would be really great wouldn't it it would Mm. be you know fantastic to think you could you know, maybe even have something in the community gallery if it mm. was, wasn't too expensive mm. um, for you to do that. Mm. And I'm thinking one place that I went to learn how to sew, yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about last year. Yeah, right. <laughs> well done. Um, thank you. Uh, in Princess Street, it's um, called something... Stitch, Stitch Kitchen. Stitch yes. Kitchen? Yes. yes. Um, and they're just... They're amazing. So lovely, mm. so great, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they would probably have some kind of connection with you and for you. Well, we've got links. Well, there's actually four organisations that we're going to link into because we've managed to get some funding grant money for um, sending people if they want to learn a new craft. Mm. And given these institutions are set up in our city and they're trying to provide a service, we'd like to use them. So Stitch Kitchen will... We're connected with them so we can get sewing can happen there. Yep. Felt Princess, so they do knitting and crochet classes and all that sort of oh. stuff. And there's a new group called um, Embroidery Witches have just set up, so they're into the embroidery crafting. Yes. And we also have in the valley uh, the Loom Room, which is a weaving school. So we're very fortunate to have these within our community. So we've linked in with all of them and we'd be able to send people there if they want to learn any of those extra skills. That's really amazing, yeah. I certainly know now how to thread a sewing machine. Yeah, great. (laughs) You might have to come down and help us then. (laughs) I'm hopeless. Oh, no, I haven't learnt how to use it yet. It's it's a plan, you know, it's a plan. Um, So if you've just joined us on Otago Access Radio Lunchtime Arts Hub, I'm talking to Ruth Tansley, spokesperson for Threading Fore, a venture that provides craft equipment and materials for migrant women to learn new skills or actually to pick up on the skills they had in their countries of origin. Um, Ruth, your listed outcomes for the Threading Fore are a credit to the Trust and a recognition of Dunedin's continued support of migrants, whether they be refugees or people who had planned to come to Otipoti. Mm. Um, so for me, thinking about some of, I, I went to the website, the personal and business development outcomes stand out as incredibly practical and actually very life-affirming and confidence-building. Mm. Um, but I thought all of the outcomes were very solid and that was probably um, some of the expertise that comes out from the people of the Trust, mm. knowing what is the most important thing at this point in time as you get to know cultures more perhaps you might find there are other things that you hadn't considered absolutely you know Mm. um so would you um talk about some of the outcomes in that you would like to see absolutely yep we um i think as i said you know crafts are opportunity for two-way learning um at the moment a lot of the um refugees and migrants go you know, have a big focus on learning English so mm. they're very trying to keep family and home organised they're going to English classes as well 
but the opportunity to actually go out into a community and have two-way conversation is brilliant because we learn as well and the craft is the other side two-way so we're hoping that there's a two-way exchange mm. and we learn from them and they learn from us so it's the opportunity I think also to create something for themselves you know that they actually can sit down and do some craft that they know or they want to learn um, I think it's a safe environment for them outside of the house. They can come there and they know what it is and it's warm and it's welcoming and all those things that are important, so it's a safe place. Um, provide an opportunity for conversation, so that's an important one if I go back to the home tutoring, is having normal conversation English yes. happening. So that's quite important because out of a classroom environment, it's different having conversation and so practicing that and that's an outcome we're looking for. Um, I think it benefits all of us because we kind of graft, we sort of grow from knowing each other, knowing each other's cultures, learning more about that and the craft side of it we're looking forward to learning from them as well. Um, I think it's another important thing that came through was an outcome for keeping alive their their cultural craft because mm. they're bringing that with them mm. it'd be great to be able to sort of play a part to be able to keep that going um, we aim for that exhibition as I just said it would be brilliant um, to sell their work and have an income and the really exciting one we're interested in is just that personal and business development down the track so we were very excited yesterday where we employed a young Palestinian refugee who's going to become one of our coordinators and she has been through a pathway where she's learning her own personal motivation and things that she wants to to get into the workspace and I think this is an important part that we can start marrying up that with some of the women that come along that would like to do that and I think one of the big big dreams for me would be having some business around perhaps food because these women are amazing with cooking and food and I think it would be marvellous to have some sort of commercial space or something like that and they can start running their own business. I think that sounds amazing as well. Mm. I was thinking about food. Um, a friend of mine um, got involved with the um, Red Cross and um, so she sort of had a family she was caring for with other mm. people as well. And she just said the cooking was just amazing. It's magic. Yeah. Just amazing. Mm. And um, because we've got a... Uh, a I went to a talk, an inspiring talk, about people who had started doing things in the community who had been refugees. Yes. And one of them was a chef who has had a business. This was a couple of years ago now, but mm. I assume he still has a, maybe a restaurant? I'm not mm. sure. Mm. Okay. Um, and And so people could then go to the restaurant knowing that the food they were going to get was the food that they loved mm. and I, I think that would be amazing as mm. well and that would enhance all of those skills of mm. learning English as well and you know just that pride as well and being able to cook something fantastic um, yep. you know I, I'm a terrible cook but I do know that <laughs> when family doesn't eat your food it's mm. it's very heartbreaking and so it's quite a passion yes, food absolutely mm -hmm. and I think it's just that extra extension where they can get into business and be self-employed yes and being self-supporting in that way and they've got all the skills and everything to do that it just they need a helping hand to get to that space that's right mm -hmm. and a determination mm -hmm. I mean mm -hmm. you know what is it like coming from a country that 
was yours and is not no more mm. um, and and that must be quite a lot of drive as well mm. um, and yes if you are a woman you have a family to care for as well mm. and yeah learning English it's a big thing it's, it's a lot huge. it's yeah. a, a lot I think this is such a wonderful um, opportunity for people I also think when, when you were talking that um, it's like um, when I went to Māori classes, um, it's the consideration is of being a kiaka, which is the one who teaches and the one who also learns from the, the pupil. Yes. And yes. so that's, you know, you can't go wrong with that no. sort of attitude. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so... Is everybody welcome into the space? Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, the focus is for, we've sort of said, recently arrived migrants and uh, refugees because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are trying to assimilate and, and, and get their heads around living in an entirely new country, new place, etc. But at the end of the day, there's a whole range of women over the years that have been, and they're now New Zealanders, I call them, you know, our new New Zealanders, um, but they, we'd be delighted to have them come as well because often as not they can help and support and do other mm. things. So it's open to that group. This is for them and this is something that, that we've focused for that particular group of women. Mm. Yeah, oh, that sounds really good as well. Um, and so if you were a um, resident or born in New Zealand as, as a Kiwi and you had um, some kind of offering that you were happy to go then possibly just an email mm, to, yeah, you, to you? Yes, absolutely. Yep. On the website we've got lots of uh, contact information there mm-hmm. but we want to have that interaction between um, our Kiwi people and our new New Zealanders. I mean that's a critical part of getting social integration in the community. Yeah. So yes, be delighted to hear from people, be great. That's really good as well. So, um, so thank you very much um, for being on the Arts Hub, Ruth. I think um, the, now that the um, progress program is underway, I'm really hoping that things um, will get going within, you know, start warming up in a couple of months and you get overrun. And I'd like to come back and tell you more. Uh, <laughs> you're most welcome to come back and yeah. tell us more. Thank you. So just to let you all know, the Threading Furry is at 270 North Road, Northeast Valley, and is open Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday from 10am until 4pm. So don't go on Wednesday. It won't be there for you. It won't be open. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Now we're going to be listening to Mezirika, uh, Paumai Tonu.
You've been listening to Arts Hub, our weekly spotlight on the art scene in Otipoti, Dunedin. My thanks to artist Neil Lowe and to Ruth Tansley for joining us today. If you'd like to listen again to this program or past editions of the show, you'll find podcasts of Arts Hub from ORFM's website oar.org.nz. On next week's program, we have Lindley Edmeads, poet and editor of Landfall magazine, on the show, and more. Kakite. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.